You're listening to an AI Introducer podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to part two of this week's special Inside China podcast. My name is Holly Chick, science reporter here at the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. And in this episode, we're going beyond what ChatGPT and generative AI can do. And we're going to look at the global concerns about how this should be regulated. You might remember at the end of March, when an open letter titled Pulse Giant AI Experiments made headlines around the world. It was signed by more than 25,000 people, including Elon Musk. Apple founder Steve Wozniak, the co-founders of Skype and Pinterest, and an extensive list of tech industry and academic heavyweights. It called for a six-month pause on the development of advanced AI systems. But that's not all. The open letter itself is an in-depth analysis of the risks involved in not regulating AI. Contemporary AI systems are now becoming human competitive at general tasks, and we must ask ourselves, should we let machines flood our information channels with propaganda and untruth? Should we automate away all the jobs including the fulfilling ones? Should we develop non-human minds that might eventually outnumber, outsmart, obsolete, and replace us? Should we risk loss of control of our civilization? Such decisions must not be delegated to unelected tech leaders. Powerful AI systems should be developed only once we are confident that their effects will be positive and their risks will be manageable. And it's not just a pause in AI development. The letter also makes some specific calls for action. AI labs and independent experts should use this pause to jointly develop and implement a set of shared safety protocols for advanced AI design and development that are rigorously audited and overseen by independent outside experts. These protocols should ensure that systems adhering to them are safe beyond a reasonable doubt. Interestingly, a large number of the responses to this letter in the US and China were exactly the same, saying we can't pause AI development because the other country will get an advantage. But here we are two weeks later, and within 24 hours of each other, both China and the US governments have announced plans to regulate AI development. On Monday, the US Department of Commerce, National Telecommunications and Information Administration launched something called the AI Accountability Policy Request in which it was seeking public comment on what policies could support the development of AI audits, assessments, certification and other mechanisms. On Tuesday, the Cyberspace Administration of China released its draft guidelines for generative AI development. And you're going to hear from my colleague, Xi Meishan, about the detail of those rules and how they will affect China's AI industry. But China and the US aren't the only nations rushing to regulate AI. Back in 2021, the EU proposed regulations as well as a ban on some AI applications. But the arrival of ChatGPT has made those proposals look obsolete and forced a rethink as well as a rewrite. China, the US and the EU all want to regulate AI. So far, so good. Or is it a case of so what? 
who've been waiting almost 30 years for them to agree on action about climate change. Can we really expect them to work together to protect us from the existential threat of unregulated artificial intelligence? You're going to hear analysis of proposed AI regulation in China, US and Europe. You might be surprised at how much there is in common. If you've been following this podcast over the years, you would be familiar with the voice of Xi Meishan. She is a reporter on our technology desk and has presented numerous episodes of the Inside China podcast, including our February episode on AI in China. Xi Mei, welcome back. It's good to be back. You've been reporting on the new draft regulations for generative AI announced in Beijing this week. Was this a surprise or has this been coming for some time? I don't think this came as a surprise for people, given the amount of hype surrounding generative AI. Also because of you know China's regulatory environment, where the CAC has been, for the past couple of years, been trying to kind of expand its power and control on pretty much every corner of the internet space. And AI in China is, of course, an area that authorities place great importance on, both in terms of um, this development and in terms of how to regulate it. So they kind of already put out some guidelines in 2017, saying things like AI in China should contribute to the country's economy, social welfare, and maintain national security, etc. But that was very broad. Then in 2021, China became, I think, one of the first countries to release ethical guidelines for AI, where one of the main ideas is that AI should be trustworthy and at all times controllable by humans. So they're suggesting that they would get very involved to try to manage all the long-term risks, which analysts have told us at the time was actually forward-looking. And then in January this year, there was a regulation targeting deepfakes that came into effect. Um, Deepfake, of course, in a kind of broad sense means products that use AI to alter existing audio and visual content. Like that picture of the Pope in a puffy jacket? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So these rules, also drawn up by the CAC, they were pretty comprehensive. But uh, one of the main points is that it prohibits the production of deepfakes without people's consent. So you can see that Chinese regulators are kind of really keeping close tabs on the most up-to-date tech trends. And this new generative AI regulation, um, it, it came pretty naturally. So Xinmei, can we start by clarifying what actually happened this week? The Cyberspace Administration of China has issued draft guidelines on the regulation of generative AI. What does that mean? So this week, the CAC published a draft of this proposed regulation, and it's soliciting public feedback till May 10 this year. So after that, they'll likely take some time to finalize it. Um, maybe we'll see a second draft, or maybe it will go through directly. That timeline is kind of, it's hard to predict. I mean, the CAC has been pretty efficient these days, but with all the new rules and regulations it's trying to push forward over the past two years or so. Uh, for example, those on data security, which our podcast has touched upon. So the CSE does have a lot on its plate. You're speaking to people in China's tech industry every day. 
What's the response to these guidelines? Are they being seen as guardrails or handcuffs? And what items stand out for you in this list of draft regulations? At the moment, I think people are saying that some of its requirements are on the tough side and could be hard to execute. So, for example, it wants companies to make sure that the content their AI generate is true and accurate. Which, if you have tried ChatGPT, you would know that it can generate false information pretty convincingly. Um, so that's difficult to do. And then the CAC also demands that if a product is discovered to have generated inappropriate content, the company has three months to up their model and to prevent it from happening again. So I would say these are all pretty challenging asks. It also demands a level of transparency with the regulators, of course, and asks that companies need to disclose details of things like the source and the size, etc., of their training data. And the basic underlying algorithms, which could be concerning for companies. That would seem to be the biggest difference between China's approach to the regulation and the U.S. approach: that companies need to hand over their algorithms. Yes, yes, that's correct. That is one thing that sets it apart. But also, at the same time, I don't think. Companies are completely caught off guard by all these requirements, in the sense that this regulation kind of incorporated different ideas from a couple of existing internet content regulations. So things like real name registration for users, or passing a so-called security assessment before putting your product online. All these censorship requirements have been. Kind of old news to Chinese companies, I would say, especially for social platforms. I think it's safe to say that they've had many years of experience in、uh, content moderation. And I guess not only Chinese social media platforms, but Chinese online users as well. They've been registering their names for Weibo accounts and for phone numbers for years now. But the biggest takeaway from these draft regulations that made headline in the West. Was the concept that Chinese AI should embody core socialist values? Shimei, what does that mean? So to break it down in their words,、uh, what it says is that the content generated by your AI shall not contain any content that subverts state power, overturns the socialist system, incites secession, or undermine national security. I don't. I don't think I need to go through all of them. I mean, if you've been following China's internet policies, I think words like these have appeared in a lot of regulations involving online content, and those requirements actually date back to I think more than a decade ago. And I, I would say that content platforms in China also have become good at not touching these bottom lines. Given what we know about how ChatGPT works, that it pulls data on everything on the web up until the year 2021, is this putting guardrails around China's AI and only allowing it to use data on the Chinese side of the Great Firewall? That's right. That's right.、Um, you know, because the text data they can pull from inside the Great Firewall are already kind of filtered and cleaned up. Everything falls in line. So China's chatbot services would tend to, to a certain degree, naturally align with the party speak,、uh, if you could say that. Or they have learned to simply avoid answering politically sensitive questions. So, for example, when our colleague Coco Feng tested Baidu's Ernie bot 
which has been banked as a challenger for ChatGPT. When she asked the bot questions about Xi Jinping, Ernie Bot just asked Coco to start over with a different topic in a new conversation. Well, can I circle back and refer to a discussion in the West right now about how generative AI can create convincing fake images? And I mentioned the famous image of the Pope in a puffy jacket we saw a couple of weeks ago. Is there any specific mention of AI-generated images? Yeah, this CAC regulation did make it clear kind of right off the bat that AI-generated content refers to everything from text to images to audio, video, and even code. And the requirement for things to be true and accurate will apply to images. So I think this is really where China's AI policies and what the U.S. is grappling with kind of converges. But then, of course, there are a lot of differences. And going back to an earlier point, is it's also pretty hard for the companies to do. And it'll be yeah, interesting to see where that goes. This week, we've seen the Italian government ban ChatGPT over alleged privacy violations. Are there specific guidelines about personal data in China's draft regulations? Yeah, it's actually quite focused on the protection of personal information. I think that it's kind of a response to kind of growing complaint of companies violating people's privacies. And it's uh, it's also an area that China's internet regulators are kind of are really focused on addressing. And in this particular AI regulation, it says that you need to make sure that your AI-generated content does not infringe on other people's privacy. Uh, it cannot be done with illegally obtained personal information. Also, one thing that's interesting is that you have to protect the information that a user has input and that you cannot preserve any information that can be used to suggest or extrapolate their identity among a range of other things. So yes, data privacy is a very heavy component in this regulation. It's not simply a matter of censorship. Also, there are things like you need to make sure that your algorithm does not generate content that discriminate based on people's race, ethnicity, gender, or age, or that you can't infringe upon intellectual properties either. So yeah, I guess you can say these are admirable requirements. It's just that implementation will be another matter. Ximei, as we heard back in February on our AI episode, The whole concept of ChatGPT and generative AI has been the best news for Chinese tech companies after three years of crackdowns. It sounds like you and the rest of the tech team are going to be very busy over the next few months. Ximei, thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Right now, let me introduce you to someone who's spent years studying and analyzing the AI industry and regulations in China and the U.S. Hi, my name is Matt Sheehan. I'm a fellow in the Asia program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. And my research there mostly focuses on China's AI ecosystem, both its development and now the emerging regulatory framework around it. Matt, can I get your initial reaction to the Cyberspace Administration of China's draft regulations? which says all new generative AI development should embody core socialist values. Yeah, it's, you know, up top it has a lot of boilerplate on uh, Chinese Communist Party messaging. There is usually, uh, you know, there are 
requiring that things promote positive energy and core socialist values and Xi Jinping thought with Chinese characteristics. In a lot of ways, you know, there's no super specific practical implementation of that. But what it does in a lot of cases by setting these very general requirements, it kind of transfers the power to the government to the regulators to crack down, to exert control or to enact punishments if they see technology results that are going out of line with what they're looking for. So there's kind of the specific technical mechanical aspects of the regulation and there's a more big picture, hey, we're officially wading into this space, we're gonna be watching what you do and uh, you can't stray too far from the party line. To be clear, this is not the first announcement from Beijing about rules and AI. Can you put this in context with previous announcements on this? Yeah, this is really the third in a series of pretty major regulations on different aspects of AI, specifically AI as it's sort of deployed on the Internet. And the roots of this you can trace back even further. You can trace them back to at least 2020, even further back, the, the sort of the intellectual roots go back to 2019, 18, 17, beyond that. But the major pieces that have come out so far were uh, first a regulation on recommendation algorithms, and that's kind of recommendation algorithms broadly defined. These are really the things that power a lot of the sort of everyday uses of AI on the internet. So, you know, uh, search engines and uh, product recommendations, and in some cases, even kind of labor guiding algorithms. So, you know, deciding which uh, Uber Eats driver or which DD driver is assigned to what ride goes where. So those rolled out first. Um, they were sort of the draft was debuted in 2021 and it was finalized in early 2022. After that, we had a regulation on what China called deep synthesis, Shendu Hecheng, which is in many ways has a ton of overlap with generative AI. This came out of um, the Chinese government's concern about deep fakes primarily. They have sort of a, a longstanding concern about AI being used to manipulate media and to spread you know, misinformation as defined by a party in the government. And so those were drafted in early 2022 and they debuted right at the end of 2022. And the interesting thing is those regulations, which really do govern a lot of generative AI applications, they came out just as ChatGPT and these sort of large language models were very much hitting mainstream. So I think of the latest generative AI regulation as there's a ton of overlap, or you could even say it kind of is subsumed within the deep synthesis regulations. But I think they felt the need with the boom over the last three, four months to say, hey, let's let's come up with something that's more targeted, that's specifically looking at language models, not necessarily just at pictures and video and stuff like that. And so this is, you know, it's a, it's an addendum on a multi-year project set to govern how AI impacts the internet, information, and trade and commerce online. Matt, on Thursday, U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced that he wanted legislation to regulate AI technology. How far behind China is the U.S.? China has clearly sort of moved first in terms of rolling out binding regulations on different aspects of AI. And there's a way to look at that as kind of the U.S. is behind or, you know, Europe is ahead. I think of it more as it's a pretty good opportunity for the U.S. and other countries to learn from how these are implemented in China. And that, you know, in the U.S., we certainly may not like or agree with the end goals of certain Chinese regulations, what they want to do in terms of restrictions on speech and how they characterize what is acceptable speech online. 
But in a lot of ways, these regulations are tools. They create sort of bureaucratic and technical tools for governing algorithms. So like a key piece of the Chinese regulations is an algorithm registry where they're forcing sort of disclosure of, you know, what training data are you using? How is the model built? Do a sort of safety or a security self-assessment? And those tools can be put to any ends. They can be put to the ends that the U.S. government wants or U.S. society wants or the goals that the Chinese government wants. And I see this as an opportunity, not necessarily that the U.S. is behind, but that we can look at how these tools are implemented and, you know, are they useful? Does an algorithm registry, does this kind of disclosure actually sort of generate meaningful insights and meaningful ability to nudge the algorithms or nudge how the technology is deployed. So yeah, while the US, we are a bit sort of slow moving in general on technology regulation, I do think there's a chance to learn from both China and Europe to a certain extent. Can you run a comparison for us? How does China's development of AI regulation compare to the US? Yeah, you know, Beijing takes a much more interventionalist and some would say kind of like paternalist approach to governing both content and then like the use of online tools. They very much see their job as like protecting the children and protecting the people from information that they shouldn't have. We obviously see things and do things much differently in the U.S. and in other parts of the West broadly defined. But there really are a lot of like parallel conversations going on. And it's kind of a matter of both degree and then it's a matter of kind of the motivating values underlying it. But the the social issues in many cases are similar. Do you see AI regulation becoming a new sphere of influence for China and the U.S. to compete in? We've already seen China projecting an alternative to the international rules-based order through its Belt and Road Initiative and through its diplomatic achievements in the Middle East. Do you see this playing out on the AI field as well? I think clearly what China does domestically is going to have ripple effects internationally. And we could see that in terms of like competing spheres of influence on AI regulation. I would say that the Chinese regulations are very much targeted at their perception of domestic issues in China, like the latest generative AI regulation specifically just governs generative AI platforms that are deployed to users within China. And they're even when you look at the topics that they're governing, they're governing topics that are kind of core CCP concerns, like domestic controls for uh, things that could cause kind of social unrest, like labor issues and stuff like that. I think that's the primary goal. A lot of times there's a kind of maybe a added benefit of being first and getting to claim that sort of soft power. I think the motivations are very much internal. That said, you are going to see, I think, not just U.S., China, but different kind of spheres of influence as these regulations ripple out. I mean, the best examples of this usually come from the EU and the way that its technology regulations have had ripple effects internationally from, you know, India to Japan to California to other places. They all in some ways, either model or build off of or are inspired by aspects of, you know, GDPR, Europe's data regulation, and maybe in the future towards the AI Act. So I think you will see these kind of ripple effects internationally, and maybe you'll see some sort of broad alignment with countries that lean more towards China's political system might lean into those regulations. But there are maybe a couple of you know intervening factors. One is that there are only so many countries that produce this technology, and there are only so many countries with markets that are big enough that they can kind of really dictate terms to the technology companies. Like one reason that the EU, even though it doesn't you know have companies necessarily like Google and Facebook, it can still dictate terms to them because the EU market is so big. Historically, China was able to do that to a certain extent, at least, you know, dictating rules for how Western companies operate in China. 
but it doesn't necessarily have that sort of pushing outward soft power anymore. Like OpenAI and Google are not at this point likely to change their technology to suit Beijing's domestic demands. And so the technology that then flows into like Belt and Road countries is not going to be shaped according to those necessarily. That's not black and white. There are still some companies, I think Midjourney is already tweaking some of its regulations, of, you know, in order to not make any enemies in China. But broadly, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to have the huge kind of ripple effects uh, or very like direct in that way. Matt, you just mentioned the EU. How important is Europe in setting standards for generative AI? Or is the EU simply like a pedestrian standing by the racetrack, demanding speed limits? There's definitely an element of that. And I think in a lot of cases, the, the U.S. tech companies see Europe as an annoyance in the way that it approaches technology regulation. I desire to say, hey, you know, if you want to have your own leading companies, you can't be doing this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, Europe has a or the EU has a huge market that the big tech companies are going to respond to. And so they are going to, whether they like it or not, they are going to end up obeying those speed limits as dictated by Europe, at least within the European market. They might not sort of make those a global standard for what they do. They might you know, implement different versions of the technology in the EU versus the US. But in a lot of cases that it does kind of like ripple outwards in the way that You know, if Google or Microsoft has to go through all of this technical labor to be compliant with the European law and that labor in some way sort of limits or constricts the technology or makes it maybe safer in some way, then a lot of times they'll just kind of say, hey, we already did all the work. Let's just kind of deploy this same product internationally. And so Europe, yeah, it uh, feels like a sort of a thorn in the side of U.S. tech a lot of times. But at the end of the day, they have the market and that gives them a lot of power over these companies. In January, you co-authored a report where you stated that the U.S. as by far China's largest competitor and collaborator in AI provides an umbrella and a template for countries and FCAI participants that also collaborate with China on AI R&D and face many of the same issues. Beyond the daily back and forth from Washington and Beijing, Do you see any prospect of collaboration between China and the U.S. on AI regulation? I think the odds that the U.S. and China are going to kind of sit down and have a, uh, a handshake agreement or sign a binding treaty that they're both going to regulate AI in similar ways We might see that in very targeted areas. Like I think some people are are hopeful or at least pushing for sort of an agreement to say not integrate AI into nuclear command and control because that just increases the risk of accidents. Maybe in very targeted areas like that, more broadly in like how we approach the technology, I don't think they're going to be cooperating on regulations, but I do think there is this chance for mutual learning. Like Chinese regulators, Chinese academics are very attuned to global AI regulation, global AI ethics conversations. They digest that stuff. They don't copy and paste it, but it influences and it helps shape how they think about regulating the technology at home. And I think us in the U.S., in Europe, all over the world, there's a lot of sort of low-hanging fruit in terms of looking at what China's doing looking at whether it works, whether it serves the Chinese government ends. And again, not copying and pasting or not putting it to those same ends in the U.S., but seeing what what tools did China create through its regulation? What mechanisms does it use for its goals that we can use for our goals? So while there might not be a lot of hope for sort of binding agreements and treaties, there is a lot of opportunity for mutual learning, I think. 
there seems to be a narrative going on where what happens behind the Great Firewall would stay there. But then there's cases like TikTok, where its algorithm is created by Douyin in China, but it's also widely used in the U.S. Do you think this kind of crossover is something to consider when creating AI regulation? It's very tricky because, in a lot of ways, like the country's tech ecosystems are getting increasingly segmented, and you know the TikTok Douyin thing—that's kind of one of the last really major straddles. A company that has roots in one place that's dominant、uh, all over the world, and you know TikTok has been trying to separate itself out and say, "No, we're a, you know we're based in Singapore." So the, I think that kind of you know straddling with products, having one company and one product that can speak to both marketplaces, is getting harder than ever. Same thing with investments,、uh, cross-border investments are getting harder. But the ideas are still flowing back and forth pretty freely in the sense that you know the vast, vast, vast majority of AI research is still published openly online. Anyone can access it. Chinese researchers are still looking at, citing, building on American research, and vice versa. And so that element, even as say the markets get segmented and the investment,、uh, you know, the financial markets get segmented and the the flow of people back and forth is even more limited than it was a few years ago due to visa restrictions and just pandemic restrictions. Those things are all more segmented, but the kind of the intellectual and the technical underpinnings of the technology are still very much a sort of an open global public good that countries all over the world, scientists all over the world. Continue to build on together, and while there might be some pushes to sort of close off some AI research at places like OpenAI, you know that's a trend to watch. But I think for the sort of the broad mainstream of a lot of AI research, that still remains very much a, a public good that everyone's kind of contributing to and drawing on. Matt, what are your concerns when you think about AI regulation in China and the U.S. and about the speed of development of generative AI? What keeps you awake at night? What concerns me the most, what keeps me up at night, is the concern that in the U.S. and maybe to a certain extent in China, we might shy away from regulating technology because of this feeling of a AI race, a race to push the technology, you know, as far and as fast as possible. There's a lot of problems with the way AI is deployed today. A lot of people that it Impacts that are hurt by it, and there's big picture sort of long-term concerns about what happens if we keep pushing the technology further. What if we keep building the models bigger and bigger? Where is this even headed in a in a very big picture sense? And I'm very concerned that in this desire to stay ahead of China to push the technology as far and as fast as possible, we're going to stumble into some dangerous areas. And when people say, "Hey, let's not go there," or "Let's at least put some guardrails around this," the response is, "No, we can't slow down. We can't put guardrails." On this, we can't regulate because if we do, China will pass us, and then that's sort of doomsday in its own regard. I think the U.S. and countries around the world they have to develop their own relationship to AI and have to govern it in a way that actually benefits their populations and that's deployed in a safe way. And I think China, in a lot of ways, is is doing that in relation to their own government's goals. We might not like those goals, but they're not afraid to regulate something for the sake of what they want their country to look like domestically. And I think in the U.S. and beyond, we need to be not afraid to regulate AI to make sure it's safe and that's actually deployed to the ends that we want it to. This is truly a story that's developing day by day. 
There's a lot more to come. You know, you'll always get the latest updates on SEMP.com. We have a lot more to talk about, and I hope you can join us. My name is Holly Chick. Bye for now. <laughs>